Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Corey. Corey Micah is a fire and water relationship coach. Oh, that sounds interesting. She helps spouses of the first responders rekindle their smoldering relationships with her podcast and business of the same name, Relationships on Fire. We'll have to link up your podcast in the show notes so people can listen. Uh, Corey has helped her clients overcome their limiting beliefs to achieve their wildest dreams for over 20 years. Being married to a firefighter and together running a swim school for over two decades, she has lived all the struggles her clients face and coaches them to increase their love and connection and reduce resentment and worry with their partner. Corey, (laughs) thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Megan. This is really great. So anybody listening, um, especially if you have new listeners, who may not know backstory, um, but my reoccurring audience would, I have thyroid issues. And um, so my voice sometimes cracks. It sounds weird. Hopefully when I have my thyroidectomy, that'll actually help with that. Or they said it may change your voice. I'm like, oh, great. My voice is deep enough as it is, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So just putting that out there in case it sounds weird, I can already hear it like sounding weird. Um, So Corey, I would love for you to kick us off of what it's like, what your journey has been like um, being married to a firefighter. uh, I don't think I've interviewed anybody who has been, and I have a feeling that we probably have some misunderstandings about what life is like, um, but I'd love for you to share us your journey. Sure. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting that you start off with that. Um, We might have misunderstandings about the journey. And I think that is a key point of even in my own journey of like getting lost in my own relationship with a firefighter. Because you think about um, a firefighter, I don't know, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, the firefighter calendar, right? <laughs> These smoking hot book people <laughs> who are our heroes and they're amazing and, you know, selfless and they run into burning buildings and get cats out of trees. No. <laughs> the first thing I think of is 9-11 actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the whole like running it. Really into buildings. Yeah. It. Yes. Into the building. And they are all of that. They're super attractive. They're super amazing. They're, um, you know, giving. And I know when my spouse was interviewing, um, one of the things, one of the key things is that firefighters are, um, they are the people that almost universally we let into our homes, right? Mm -hmm. Like police officer comes to your home. You may or may not let that person in, right? right? The like, person giving you the Bible story at the door, you may or may not let that person in, right? Like you open with quite resistance to, you know, who's knocking at my door, but firefighters, like we let them in, right? They are there to help us. And so um, they have this amazing persona. And so being on the other side of that, I know when we first got into being a fire family, 
I was very wrapped into what is my role in that? And, you know, there's um, taking all of my personal self-doubt and negative self-talk and like, but no, I'm, you know, I am now the fire wife and uh, (laughs) am I as beautiful and helping and giving and wonderful and all this kind of stuff. Um, So there's that whole internal narrative voice that um, you're trying to live up to the role, but you're also just a human being who has all of that internal gunk. (laughs) Yeah. So um, yeah, which is really the piece for us and for me in particular, what kind of led us into that place of uh, not a great spot in our relationship <laughs> and finding our way back out of it. Yeah, I can, um, my spouse has military experience, so I can relate to the expectations that are really high uh, for society, but also spouses where, you know, you're told that you have to do certain things. And then in your head, because of society, you think you have to do certain things and lived up to certain, uh, ideals. And it's, it's ironic when, um, he was in the military, I actually had people on Facebook who would comment under some of my posts, like more like, um, political posts and be like, you're a military spouse. How could you like support that? And I'm like, I'm more than just a military spouse. I am a whole human being on my own. And I can have opinions about the military that aren't exactly a hundred percent positive, uh, partially because of experience, but <laughs> also like, just, I don't have to agree with everything that the military does just because I'm a spouse. So I can, I can relate to that um, pressure and the expectations that are really high, um, that you're just like, I I don't know if I can live up to this. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting you say being military, I mean, the, um, firefighting is sort of paramilitary. Um, and that is, that's one of those things that was really hard for me to understand and wrap my head around because, um, I am, that is not something I've ever been exposed to. (laughs) And, and the whole idea of rank and file and uh, like just totally outside of my uh, sphere of understanding and comfort and, and even just the pretty patriarchal system that exists there, right. Um, Is not, um, not something I was comfortable or familiar with. And so, yeah, it made it really challenging for me to figure out what my role was um, in that space and how to support my spouse in that space who um, willingly and lovingly loves being in it, like loves yeah. the job, but also isn't entirely a rank and file person. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, navigating through those systems. Yeah, mine had a problem with his mouth and and not knowing like I should shut up. <laughs> and I'm like, you do realize like you just mouth off to some. He'd come home and tell me, and I'm like, you do realize you just mouth off to somebody that you probably shouldn't have. And he's like, I couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna say it's an interesting dynamic because you know, like back in the day, we our society in general was more patriarchal we're moving away from that 
And so I think that is, that's a challenge in many different systems, right? Of how do you keep that order? Because of course they need that order. If you're going mm -hmm. into a fire, you need somebody, you need to have order of who's a chain of command. It's super yeah. important. Um, but yeah, for most of uh, life and society, we're moving away from that top down. Um, so there is quite a, a struggle there, um, for, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, the older, uh, the older crowd as a struggle with like the younger, uh, like more progressive, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean they are progressive, but more progressive crowd. Um, yeah, we saw that in the military too. You have like these, these younger guys coming in and they have like more, uh, I, uh, progressive is the best word I have ideals of how like this could work a whole lot better, but nobody wants to listen because like, this is how it's always been done. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hard in any big institution of, yeah, we want to preserve how it's always been done. But um, yeah, in both of these kinds of institutions, I think probably the military is better at um, welcoming in women, people of color, you know, the fire service is still very predominantly white male. And um, so having, it's not necessarily liberal minded, but looking from different points of views yeah. um, and seeing how do we really welcome in um, people from all walks of life who we're serving, we're going out and serving those communities. So um, yeah, the more we can look like those communities, right, the better uh, service we're going to be able to be to them. Absolutely. And I, I feel like diversity is is really important in any institution, like you said, because you want you want to serve communities and have people who look that like that community that represent that community. And that can be really difficult when that has not always been the thing. Um, but I mean, imagined, I mean, we can imagine cause it's happening right now, like what it would be like to have, you know, man, to see a woman firefighter, like that is badass. <laughs> <laughs> It is. Yeah. And they are amazing. Um, it's so great. Um, I know my spouse in particular really uh, likes to support and help. Um, they have a few women through their department. And I shouldn't even say that because there are women in his department who he gets support from because they are higher, they've been there longer than him. So he really like learned a lot from them. And now there are, because he's been there long enough, they have, there's younger recruits who are um, female coming in and um, really keeping an eye on <clears throat> how to mentor and how to, um, you know, be a real advocate with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's an important role. So that's amazing. Um, we could talk about like the structure forever, but I want to focus on you. Yeah. Um, what are some what are some struggles that you have have had? Because uh, I'm sure they haven't disappeared. Like there's there's still things going on, right? Your spouse is still in, uh, in which you you know there's still that like you know fear, like something's going to happen. You know things like that. What are some struggles that you've had? Um, throughout the years and that you also see with your clients uh, being a spouse of a firefighter or first responder because you work with you know first responder spouses yeah yeah I mean one of the big things um, is is the people say uh, you're one-third single parent um, 
And so it's that single parent time and, um, having, I actually have on my website, there's a picture of myself, uh, at my, uh, spouse's, uh, academy graduation, right. It's a big deal. Like it took a long time to get there. And it's a really big deal, really big celebration. We've got, it's the two of us and our three-year-old at the time, and I'm 42 weeks pregnant. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, we look at that picture and we just sort of laugh at it because um, like it's his day and his time. I was completely ignoring that I was in labor all day. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I can't be in labor today. Like we have been waiting and working towards this cumulative moment. It's like this baby didn't come at 40 weeks, which wasn't entirely surprising. My first pregnancy went to 42 and a half weeks too, but uh so then it was like, but this is the one day it can't be. <laughs> so um, that is not that that's like a quintessential moment of things that are difficult. Like, yeah, I'm in labor, but it, now is not the time. <laughs> yeah. You just like have to hold on and just wait it out. And tomorrow's the day to be in labor, not on shift, not a graduation. Right. So. Um, there's a lot of that. And I'm sure like as military spouses have this too, right? That you're just like, okay, I just got to put my head down and, and, uh, and do it all right in those mm-hmm. times. Cause they're, they're gone somewhere between 24 to 96 hours. Um, and uh, depending on their shifts and their departments and that sort of thing. So that, of course, that was especially challenging when our children were little. And that's mm-hmm. a big, that's a big thing for lots of families is how do I do that? And, um, and then there's this piece of them coming on and off shift. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like, okay, I've hunkered down for the last 24, 48, 96 hours. Like, this is my ship that I'm in command of. Like, mm-hmm. It's my way. I don't, you know, on one side, it's like, I don't have to negotiate with another human being around doing it. And I like, there's no criticism of how I'm doing it. Cause like, I just got to get it done. Um, and so when they come back, right. It's a relief, like, oh, thank goodness there's help and, and, and camaraderie and your, you know, your companionship and your love and all that. And yeah. Now we have to like <laughs> renegotiate how everything is done. Yeah. Yeah. Things like that. Um, I mean, just even little things like my, um, my spouse, he has celiac, which means he can't eat gluten mm-hmm. and um, he's had it since he was three years old. So it's, you know, it's um, we we're very careful with his diet, but when he's gone, the rest of us, indulge a little bit and a little uh, (laughs) uh, glutinous delights so I mean just for him coming home of wanting to just like I need something to eat I'm 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 exhausted and I need to have a little food but opening up the fridge and being like huh what can I eat you know having to question that like is it um this looks like a thing I usually can eat but I don't know if they went ahead and had it in a gluten version versus not so small little thing but um it's just a little wearing um so those transition in and outs are um challenging in the military community they call it reintegration and it sounds like you 
I'll do a rapid reintegration. Like every couple of days you're reintegrating and it's difficult because like you get in your, your process, right. You, you get in like these habits that you have and, and you build a routine and that routine does not involve them. And then they come home and you're like, well, how do I fit you into this routine? Especially when I know you're leaving again soon and like, I'm going to have to redo this all over again. And I know, and you know, my spouse has said like how difficult that is on their end, because like they come home, they don't know where their place is. They don't know mm-hmm. what they can do. And, and, you know, and for him, you know, they'd be home for a little while, but you're talking about this rapid reintegration that's happening like every couple of days. And I mean, I can't even imagine how difficult that much must be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's even, it's things like, um, uh, being the soccer coach. Okay. Yeah. It's really great that they're, that the spouses are able to be home and, and like, yep, they're here when the kids come home from school or something like that. And yes, they can volunteer to be the soccer coach, but (laughs) every on a weird cycle that nobody else is on. It's like, yep, I can come to four games and then I can't go, you know, or four practices, then I won't be there for the next two practices. And then I'll, you know, so it has this odd rotational schedule that doesn't match up with um, how the kids schedule is. And yeah, I'm sure as military, like my job and my place became to be that consistent anchoring thing in the family. And um And that's an interesting negotiation too, of just gender roles and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing that women tend to do all the household stuff and whatnot. But, um, you know, I work for full time too. And so figuring out, it took us a long time to really figure out how do you have that balance where Mm -hmm. they can still be responsible for um, parenting in a big way, Mm -hmm. which includes figuring out childcare and and doctor's appointments and stuff like that. Um, even though they're coming and going and how do you do that? Yeah. My, um, so my spouse never had what they call a shore duty in the Navy. So he was never home for an extended period of time, like in and out and everything like that, but he has been home for the past like year and a half almost. And it's been really weird because we had to renegotiate everything. Like most, uh, like you were talking about, like most things fell on me because he was never home consistently enough for us to like change those roles. But I had to say to him, cause he was so used to me doing all the things. I'm like, listen, I'm in a graduate program, <laughs> which is like a full-time job and um, you're home a lot. So I need you to pick up some of the slack here. Like uh, he cooks four days a week or four days a week now um, because I have classes three days a week. Um, so he kind of has to, he's been the one going to the kids conferences. He has been the one, uh, which he gets a little upset because our son's teacher refuses to email him and will mm. email me, even though he will like sign up for the conference and put his email address. She will email me, email me the time and date. And I'm just like, I will forward this to my spouse. <laughs> like, I am not going to be there. I have classes. That's not going to happen. Uh, but like having to rearrange those gender roles, which is kind of weird for us because, or at least for me, because like my family, there was like really defined gender roles. Um, his family, not so much because his dad ended up retiring from the military and had like a lot of medical issues. So he kind of like became like this 
the stay at home, like house husband. Mm. <laughs> so it changed a little bit, but yeah, to like, you know, you want to like rail against those, like, no, I can't do all the things. And so when they're home, you want to like, okay, we need to split this up. This is what we need to do. Right. For sure. And having the grace too, I think when one person has been do- doing something, we can't have the expectation that the other person picks it up and does it the same way, yeah. right? It's like, we don't realize that there was a learning curve that we went through to figure out how to do all the things. Yeah. <laughs> and we have to give grace and space for the person who hasn't been doing it. You know, it's just like, if, um, you know, I'm going to start fixing toilets, like it's going to be really messy and awful for the first <laughs> many times because I just don't fix the toilet and um and I still don't fix the toilet frankly but you know (laughs) if that was what I was going to pick up it would be a mess for several times I'm fully capable of figuring it out I'm intelligent enough a person but yeah so it's um yeah that give and take of being able to allow the other person their space to figure it out and discover their process and 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 yeah, it is frustrating. We did have, um, we've been many times, yeah, of my husband coming up against that gender role when it came to childcare and the child, whoever the kids were interacting with school or preschool and um, people love to have him come in in his fire uniform and, you know, and like they loved him in that role, but in the role of the actual parent, Mm -hmm. this that was a tougher role for people to accept. So, um, yeah, it's amazing that 2022, we still (laughs) are working on this. I feel like there's a generational difference when it comes to that. So we have twins, boy, girl twins. Uh, and like I said, my son's teacher, he, or she is the one we have an issue with. She's older. Um, I would say probably in her forties, and my daughter's teacher, same grade, uh, is much younger in her like later twenties. Like she had, um, when she sent home her little about me thing and said like she had done a te- teacher assistantship, but this is like her first like solo teaching gig. Right. So, you know, like logically, and you see her, she looks really young <laughs> she looks in her mid to late twenties. So to see that generational gap between how they teach and how they approach things is, you know, it really shows that things have changed a lot in 20 some years because the younger one, she's just like, really like for like us having the, you know, different gender roles that don't quite fit the stereotype. And she's the way she teaches is a lot different. She's got a lot of empathy, not saying the other one doesn't have empathy, but like the way they each handle like a child having like a emo- like big emotions is mm-hmm. different. And I'm not saying like it's wrong. Like the older one is wrong. It's just different than how things are today and how, you know, my daughter has some big emotions. She has a big personality <laughs> <laughs> and like how I, we receive feedback from the teacher about her versus our son is it's different. And so you see that change over time. We've already talked about this, you know, like, you know, where those gender roles are changing and younger people seem to be more accepting of those kind of things. But older people who had, I say older because she's older than me, 
um, who were brought up that way, it's a little harder to change that, right? Like it was a little, I expected I was going to be a stay at home mom and that I was going to do all the things. And it took time for me to say, wait, wait, I don't have to, I don't have to, he's home. He can do these things. I don't have to do them all. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We finally came up with, um, I know a thing that comes up a lot is, uh, firefighters have overtime that comes up. Gotcha. And that was one of the places that I'm like, okay, I, I take care of the kids and I'm responsible for the kids and getting coverage for when I'm working and you're working on your regular shifts. But when you take that overtime shift, mm. that's included in the package of figuring that out is, you know, okay. Asking me if I can take care of the kids during that time, if, you know, or finding, you know, who at this point, we're not, our kids are, are little, they don't need childcare anymore, but one of them does is still not driving independently. So occasionally needs um, rides places. So yeah, coordinating that, um, helping to coordinate that. So I'm like, yeah, if you're going in for overtime, like it doesn't automatically mean that everything gets dumped over to me. Um, but that took time for us to figure out. Um, cause yeah, back to, it's like that assumptive role that mom takes care of everything and leads to total overwhelm and, mm-hmm. uh, and an unfair balance of things. In my women's psychology class, we talked, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Cause I mean, it's one part, right? Like of the many health issues, but it often comes back to the overwhelming load that women are expected to take on whether or not they have children and you know how important it is that we try to take some of that off our backs (laughs) so your spouse works in a, a dangerous job how do you handle of the not knowing right the unknowns like what's gonna happen how do you manage that yeah, for me, this is this is a big issue for a lot of spouses um, that uh, they are warriors or have anxiety around, and um, and it's really a, it's a habitual way of thinking about things. And well, I mean, you mentioned at the top, like you think firefighter, you think nine eleven, right? Yeah, which of course is a huge catastrophic event, and there was obviously lots of people who lost their lives, either who were there or went in as rescuers. Um, But it's part of why we pay attention to that is because it's unusual. Gotcha. And the truth is, while there are are firefighters who die in the line of duty, there are firefighters who, uh, who die of cancers that's probably a bigger untalked about concern that their exposure, um, that they have a high risk of cancer exposure. So it's not, it's not the big, big, uh, fire, you know, um, sort of event, something that slowly comes to people over time. But, um, so these things are real, but they're not, they're not everyday occurrences. And so, you know, coming really staying grounded in most of their calls are are medic calls of some sort. They're um, mostly uh, helping people with health events. Um, And um, and so depending on, you know, how 
your department, some departments are super, super busy and there's lots and lots of that. And some departments are less busy, but so I really try and stay grounded in the facts. You know, the fact is most of their time is spent training and learning how to work together for um, being safe, right? That whole thing that we talked about at the beginning, the hierarchy of the chain, the importance of having that, they practice that and, um, and they're very good at it. And fire science has developed so much. Um, it used to be just the run into the building at all costs until, you know, they have buildings collapsing on these firefighters. And it's like, okay, this isn't serving anybody. This is, you know, so yeah. they've really developed the science of how, how one goes into those situations. So, um, yeah, so for me, I, um, it's a choice, right, to not be in the place of worry and anxiety. There are certainly moments that, you know, there's times back to who's knocking on the front door that I'll, I'll have a moment of somebody knocking on the front door when um, he's at work and it, it does pop up in the back of yeah. my head. Uh, is that <laughs> somebody, you know, what would that be like if I got that knock on the door um, or something like that? So I have run those scenarios, but um, it's really purposely not dwelling in them because the truth yeah. is it. It is, it's, it could happen, but there are other jobs um, that have, do have more deaths in them that we, you know, don't think about in that sort of way. Cause it doesn't have that. Um, it's not known as much. People don't think yeah. about it as much. So. Well, I think uh, part of it, why, why we think it is so danger is still dangerous. I'm not downplaying it, but um, more dangerous than what you're talking about is media. Media dramatizes everything. It dramatizes everything. My yes. uh, research interest is mental illness stigma and media feeds that so bad. Like it is one of the top things that will feed that stigma. Right. And so I think media is, and I don't just mean news people. I mean like shows and movies and when you see firefighters and shows and movies, it is showing like they're running in, buildings are collapsing on them, like somebody probably dies, you know, like things like that. So I think that like feeds the whole ideal of why, what we think of when we think of a firefighter. For sure. Yeah. I was listening to um, uh, the, the Moth radio program, which is one storytelling program. Um, and there was a guy on there who was telling his work story and he was a public sanitation worker in New York and him talking about, you know, after the rescue work is done, it's the public sanitation workers that got those streets open again. Right. And their rates of cancer from being exposed mm -hmm. to the same thing. You know, we know that at that site, right. That there's, um, there's a lot of, post-cancer um, things yeah. that are coming out of that. Those folks um, who work those dirty, hard jobs, right? They're getting sick too, but yeah, they're not on TV shows. They're not, <laughs> yeah. we don't really think about that. You know, um, they work with this big equipment and all this kind of stuff. There's, there's people who die in that kind of work too. And but yeah, like you say, it's not who's going out and glorifying the person picking up your garbage, nobody. Um, right. But they're working really hard and being really exposed to things and are so key to 
functioning of our society, right? Um, so yeah, it is that sensationalizing. So it's it's really sort of staying true into myself it, of knowing it's not useful to myself, my children, my community, if I'm living in worry and anxiety all the time. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, again, as a as somebody who is a military spouse is, you know, I always got people going like, I don't know how you do it. How is it possible? Like, oh my gosh, aren't you scared all the time? And I was like, he's actually relatively safe. We're not like in an active war where the Navy is involved in this. Like yeah, he was on submarine. So like they're hard to d- detect. Like, and I know the same as you, like, if something happens, somebody's going to show up at my doorstep. So unless that person shows up at my doorstep, as far as I know, everything's good. And, you know, there were times, like you said, where you're just like, oh my gosh, is that knock it? Especially when like big things happen, right? Like a couple years ago, an Argentine, uh, Argentine submarine sunk and, and the mm. whole crew died on board. And so like for the next couple of months, I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> And then my spouse comes home and he goes, it's not going to, it's very highly unlikely it's going to happen to us. And I'm sure your spouse had to have similar conversations with you every once in a while when something happened and you're just like, oh, but could that happen to you? And then he comes home and goes, highly unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I mean, honestly, it's in some ways, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but you know, in training, like they get hurt in training. Yeah. You know, um, again, like any other job too, and um, because they probably do as much training time as they do actual um, fire time, if not more. Um, so yeah, that can be the place that they. I mean, for goodness' sake, this is totally silly, but my he was out on um, on temporary disability because an injury. Um, Cause you know, they do fitness at work and as part of it, or it was in their time off time, he was playing pickleball and uh, <laughs> pulled a muscle. They had to take him in. He had to go out on a couple of weeks, you know, had to have rehab and the whole thing. Like it's sort of, you know, this embarrassing. Yep. Here's my workplace injury playing pickleball <laughs> in the bay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I mean, that is funny. And I'm sure he got razzed pretty bad. Yes, (laughs) for sure. For sure. But you know, I'll take the, the embarrassment of the pickleball injury over an actual, um, yeah, um, big, serious injury that could happen. So, I mean, but that's important. That's why they do the training, right. Is so like there's not going to be like some major to try to prevent some major injury from happening. Yes. Yeah. What's really going to be interesting for me in terms of managing um, my anxiety or my worry is our um, soon to be 20 year old who turns 20 in um, May is looking at doing wilderness fire this year. Oh my. And uh, so that is already getting me just a little, it's, um, you know, it's one thing like my, my spouse, you know, has always been the strong, capable human being that I've always, you know, yes, you're living your adult independent life. Yeah. But my kiddo yeah. <laughs> now I'm like, okay, yeah, this is a whole nother, a whole nother level of, um, 
of uh, managing the mind. <laughs> That's going to yes. be taking place as he's out there. But um, we got good practice at it, though, when he, he hiked for five months last year uh, wow. by himself. So I know he's strong and capable, too. But <laughs> no, nobody ever prepares you for having an adult child. My oldest is going to be 19 and uh, before this airs. So between us talking and this airing, her uh, birthday is April 3rd. And yeah, and nobody prepares you. And like, like you said, your spouse, you're like, oh, they're capable. They got this. And your child is completely different. And you're just like, can you come home? Can you come home so I can take care of you? Please don't do these things. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think I can handle this. And that's how, I mean, that's how I am with her. And I'm just like, I keep trying to get her to come back and live with us. <laughs> <laughs> to like post on social media about like how she's struggling financially or whatever. And I'm like, you can move back in with us. And my spouse is like, true, but you need to stop telling her that because she's not going to, because you keep telling her to do it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. That was a struggle we had too. Uh, yeah. When he went, went to school and my younger child and my husband are like, okay, let's, redo that bedroom and I'm like what hang on everybody hold on <laughs> this child's coming back this is still this child's home we're not like <laughs> writing them off yet but yeah, uh, yeah it's a process <laughs> no I mean she's been gone uh, she's been moved out almost a year as soon as she graduated she was like I'm out and we're, I've been calling it, like, I called it her room for like a good six months. And now I've changed to the spare room. And now finally I've been, my spouse put an exercise equipment in there like a couple of months ago. I'm like, what are you doing? She's coming back. And he was like, no, she's not. And now finally I'm like, oh, okay. So we can buy the twins computers. Cause they're going into middle school next year and they're going to need computers and they can't use mine. Cause I have schoolwork. And I was like, we can put them in the spare room. And he's like, oh, okay, we can put things in the spare room now. And I'm like, I think so. I think, I think she's not coming back. (laughs) (laughs) In true confession, the reason why I'm zooming, you may or may not be able to tell from in my bedroom at the moment, because my college student was home last week and my office gets moved in and out when he comes home. That's his bedroom, (laughs) but all my office uh, moves. He goes back. I move back in. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not quite ready for that, but, uh, yeah. but it's fine. <laughs> so, uh, before we wrap up the podcast today, I'd love for you to share, like, what are some of the things, um, that you, you are able to help first responder spouses with, like, what are, what are the things that, you know, they, they most need, when they're in this situation, they most need to know what kind of tools, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, really what we need to know is, um, is like we were talking about with the the worry is the difference between being able to see what is a true circumstance in the world and how is it that I think about the circumstance? This is what really drives what I create in my life, right? Um, And being able to take really good care of ourselves while we sort of open that up and get curious about it. 
because so many things we just think are just facts and the way things are, you know, these limiting beliefs that we come in with, just like we talked about in the beginning, like our gender roles and how it should be done and how I'm, you know, what I'm supposed to look like as a fire spouse that over time ends up building up this um, tension in our within ourselves and within our relationships. But um, it's really being in that space of being able to open up and to see the way I'm feeling, the way my life is presenting to myself, overwhelmed, scared, worried, um, is really about the way I'm thinking about things. And it's not to go in with judgment and criticism, but really with a lot of curiosity and love so things can make a shift and make a shift in a way that benefits your family and your relationship and really you as a human being. I know that that was my real low spot. It was really losing myself. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that I had lost myself because everything was about being in service to my family and completely I was off the table. Um, and uh, so being able to build that up and build love for yourself is the way that you build up your marriage and have a really long lasting, you know, we're in, we're in, we're in a new season, starting into a new season of our relationship, right. Um, with kids starting to leave. Um, and you really, it's being able to show up with love for yourself that allows you to show up for love within your relationship. I can totally relate to the losing yourself portion because I definitely did that for a long time. And I did things that I didn't like doing. Like I am not like a volunteer. Like, let me, <laughs> let me get this straight. I, vo- I will volunteer for things that matter to me. Volunteering for military spouse stuff was not my jam. And I kept not learning that lesson over and over and over again until finally I'm like, why am I doing this? I don't like it. Can we leave it up to people who are really like excited and for this? And instead I'm like taking this spot. Somebody else could really enjoy doing where I was like, no, I don't, I don't like this, but I kept doing it because I thought I had to. Right. Because you have that voice inside that says you should. This is what you should be doing, right? Like Brene Brown, I think it's Brene Brown who teaches us should is just uh, something you could do, but with shame on it, right? Um, And there's so much in life that we, these rules that we have, that we don't even realize our rules and they just chip away at us slow, slow over time. Um, Yeah, I remember I, when I finally was really seeking help, I, I went to a therapist and And I'm like, it makes no sense that I'm here because on the surface, everything about my life is really, who am I to complain? Right. I, I, you know, I really have all the things and who am I to be going down into a hole of depression here? But um, it's all that shooting and shaming and rules and beliefs and um, that just you take on that we just do. It's just part of being human. And so being able to take a 10,000 foot view and start to unpack that in a really loving and gentle way, it's like making 1% of change, right? Over time makes this huge change in our lives. 
So Corey, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? I think as I hear you, the inspired women is really is to just be open to the idea of what it means to fully love yourself. Unconditionally love yourself and putting yourself in that space first. And that's the space that there'll be enough for everybody else too. You're worth it. Yeah. When you say inspire women, I'm like, every woman is an inspired woman. I think people listening think that like, I think there's a select group of women who are inspiring, but we've had so many different women with so many different walks of life. So many different stories on the podcast. I feel like every woman's inspired woman and every woman has a story that can inspire somebody else. Even if they don't think they do guarantee there is a story that you could share and somebody would be like, wow, and glean something from it. I I have like very avid listeners who have told me, even if I don't relate to the person and the topic that you're talking about, the story itself, I always come away with a little bit of something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we are all amazing. I mean, I do, um, I, I go back and I will walk around town. I used to work with homeless people and, um, and to see them and to look into them and to look deeply into them and know like you were some tiny, perfect baby. Right. And that's in all of us, right. This amazing, like the way we look at babies, how, amazing and perfect they are we are all that (laughs) yeah yeah so Corey thank you so much for coming on the podcast today thanks for having me Megan this is great thank you for being a part of the inspired women audience if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a rating review and don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today tag us at inspired women podcast both on Facebook and Instagram have a great day